All right, welcome back to another episode of the Laravel Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Stauffer. Guys, can you introduce yourselves? I'm Jeffrey Way. And I'm Taylor Otwell. Uh, so we have a lot going on. I'm not going to waste any time. Um, there is so much to do. We don't have enough time for it. So I'm just going to jump right into, uh, first of all, the latest changes, 5.2, 5.1. Uh, there's a lot of other stuff going on, but let's start there. What's the release date for 5.2? Uh, I don't know. It should be in the next few weeks. I mean, usually we okay. say uh, kind of like December, but I don't know. I don't put a hard date on it if I'm still working on things yeah. or polishing things out. So probably in a few weeks. It's usually just Symphony release plus enough time to polish it and yeah. get a good solid Yeah, pretty much. Result. Yeah. So what are some of the big things that are coming in 5.2? I know Auth is one of them, and I want to hear you talk about that. Are there any other big pieces? Um. There's not a lot of other big pieces. There's some small things like um, there's little things that I think are just better. Like when you create a job on the command line using PHP artisan make job, it's now just queued by default. It's not there's not that whole sync job uh, mess where you have to add the dash dash queued because to me jobs the whole main use case of jobs is queuing anyway. So there's that um, there's implicit model binding which I think is really cool um, where you don't actually have to say route model or route bind to bind to um, a route parameter to an eloquent model. You can actually just um, make your route parameter, for example, like curly brace user. And then if you're type pinning the user model and your variable name is user, it's going to assume, oh, you probably want to inject the user for the ID from the route. So that stuff is really handy for, um, you know, being really productive really quickly. If if the wildcard, like if the record you're fetching isn't based upon the the primary key, is that when you would still just manually? Yeah, you'd have to do a you'd have to do a model uh, or a route bind manually. Okay, but if you don't do that, it will just automatically do like a find or fail type thing. Yeah, pretty much. What happens if you're type hinting and the variable name or whatever is not the same? Is it is it caring about them being the same? Yeah, no, it cares about them being the same. Otherwise, it's just going to do whatever the default behavior is. So you're not going to get the automatic, um, you know, injection of the model. But I should note on Jeffrey's thing, um, this is probably a little, on Jeffrey's point, this is a kind of a little known uh, fact, I guess. But Eloquent Models actually implement an interface called URL Routable. And he said, what if you're, binding to something that's not the primary key like for example let's just assume you're using like a slug like a um, like a blog post or something on your eloquent model if you actually override the get route key method you can tell it what column is actually url routable for that model huh so ah, very cool you could actually yeah that's actually been in there for a while but you can actually customize that and the other the other place that this interface is applicable is if you do if you generate a URL that has parameters and you pass an array of parameters using let's say you're using like the URL helper method if you pass just the model instance that's how it knows what attribute to put in the URL so that's how it knows by default it would just be like the ID but you could change it to your slug or whatever um, so yeah that's I don't I think that's documented but it's a pretty cool little feature that's hidden in there. Uh, so I know that the other big piece of that is going to be this multi-auth system. And we've we've talked a little bit about it, but could you give kind of like the high-level overview of... Yeah, so there's, there's a couple of use cases. But what's changed is you can now have multiple auth drivers, just like you can have multiple cache drivers or, uh, you know, multiple file system drivers. And there's only, there's only one driver out of the box right now by default, and that's just the session driver that you've, you've been using, you know, in the past. But what's uh, one use case that's probably a little bit more rare um, is 
and some enterprise systems are some like kind of CMS type systems. You might have two entirely separate user tables and you want to manage authentication for those entirely separately. And so in this, uh, with multi-auth, you can actually have two different models that are both authenticatable and maintain sessions and authentication state for both of those separately. That's not super common. The the really common use case, you know, going forward is going to be you authenticate different parts of your application differently. So you might authenticate your web UI using just traditional sessions and, and cookies and stuff, but you might authenticate an API with a web token or, you know, using OAuth 2 or JSON web tokens or whatever. And you want to use the same auth interfaces or, or methods and stuff that you use you know, normally like auth user, auth check, auth guest, the normal Laravel auth methods, and be able to do that, um, you know, for your API and your web UI. So, you know, looking towards the future, you know, you could just be able to drop in a, maybe a, a JWT, a JSON web token auth driver, and make that your API auth driver. And then you have a session auth driver for your web UI, and you can use the nice um, unified syntax across both, which is really nice. So, to, to, to compare it to like the cache, when you want a cache driver, you say like cache colon colon driver memcached, and then you have that instance. So with auth now, you can say auth colon colon guard um, API check or whatever. So you can get access to different authentication guards in the same app. So it's really handy. I mean, it's it opens the door for package developers to be able to write these authentication drivers without having to tie themselves to the session. So... For example, the session package on Illuminate Auth is now just suggested. It's not actually required. You just need the HTTP package to write an auth driver. And that lets people do authentication via the the tokens in the header or whatever. Because if you, sorry, I'm going on a long rant here. But if you go look at the current JWT Laravel auth thing, they actually can't really use Illuminate Auth because that would tie them into sessions and, and bring in interfaces they don't need and things like that. So they actually re-implement this whole kind of API instead of just being able to write a nice clean auth driver, which they will be able to do in the future. So um, it's good for package developers and will be really nice, you know, once we have some extra drivers out there. So I hear I hear at least two things that were really interesting to me. One of them is the idea that if you've ever had to uh, keep the default Laravel auth and keep its benefits for normal user logins, but you also want to hook... Um, like, for example, some sort of a API authentication, and you've had to do a decent amount of manual work to basically reroute whatever is happening in the OAuth layer or the JWT layer to get that same convenience. And so one thing is there can now be a pre-made set of packages that just do that for you, right? It just hooks the convenience of the auth facade and the auth uh, mechanisms into whatever other thing is, in an, and hopefully in a consistent and prepackaged way. But the other thing is that it extracted the idea of Laravel's core authentication from session, uh, which if you've ever done APIs makes sense because it's not supposed to be session-based. It's supposed to be token-based or whatever it ends up being. Yeah, authentication and session are totally separated now. Cool. That's really that's really cool. Really, really like hearing that. What's what's nice about that is we, I think we're going to talk about Lumen some in this episode too, but... What's nice about that is with Lumen, you know, the whole purpose of Lumen is to be um, kind of this microservice API micro framework. And with APIs, you do want to authenticate, but it didn't make sense that we were pulling in the session package for Lumen. It's supposed to be an API microservice framework, but we're pulling in all this kind of stateful session and cookies and stuff like that. And so by moving session, you know, to an optional part of the auth package, we can now pull an auth to Lumen without having to pull in all the session stuff. 
and write, uh, you know, API drivers in Lumen uh, for authentication without tying ourselves into the session so hard. So that's actually going to be really nice in the next version of Lumen, too. That's cool. Um, are there any other pieces about um, 5.2 we want to talk, talk about, or should we talk about uh, what's leaving in 5.1? Oh, gosh. There's there's so many, like, little little things in uh, 5.2, I feel like. Um, but, you know, those are the kind of the, some of the bigger ones, the implicit model binding, the authentication layer, um, better array validation. You know, that's kind of, it's sort of a boring feature. It's not very flashy, but it's a lot better in 5.2 like worlds better if you're ever validating an array input on a form like um, an array of names or something and you want to check that each name is unique in the database that was actually pretty difficult in laravel 5.1 but in laravel 5.2 you can actually just do like asterisk dot name or name dot asterisk or something like that and it will validate every one of them and the error messages are actually useful and helpful so that's really nice great so, um, and I, I, I've already said this, I think in the previous time we talked about it, but that array validation stuff, if you've ever done a form that have mul- that has multiple, um, if you're using basically arrays and forms, like let's say you allow somebody to add like five different people and person has a name and email address or something like that validation and everything else around it is just miserable. Not because of Laravel, just because of HTML forms. So that that's going to make that one of the painful pieces of that a lot easier. So. Cool. So you let us know that some of the um, packages are, are going away. Laravel Collective has kind of taken over some pieces from 5.1. So what are all those? Yeah, so Laravel Collective is taking on two packages. One is the IronMQ uh, queue driver. So it's a little bit painful for us to keep up with various SDK changes from all sorts of packages, not just IronMQ, but sort of the, um, you know, if we can sort of pull back on what we're having to keep up with externally, it's really helpful. So I'm moving that driver to the collective and that can be maintained by people who actually, you know, use IronMQ in production or are interested in that package. But basically, it's really easy to just drop in. You just add it to your composer and add a service provider, and it works exactly like it did in 5.1. Uh, so it's really easy for backwards compatibility purposes. The other is uh, Laravel Collective is taking on some of the bus, uh, command bus features, which are really more prominent in like Laravel 5.0. Um, it hasn't been documented for a while, but you could actually have separate commands and handler classes, which... I think is a little heavy handed and kind of over engineered in most PHP applications. So um, in Laravel 5.2, there's actually just um, kind of self-handling commands. There's no separate commands and handlers. Um, And if you want separate commands and handlers, you can pull in this Laravel collective package, which is basically the 5.1 version of the command bus. And, you know, it implements the same contract and all that. So it's just really easy to drop in, add it to your composer, and you actually replace the Laravel bus service provider with the collective bus service provider. And everything pretty much works exactly as it did before because it's literally the the same code from 5.1. So, nice. yeah, those are just two things I wanted to, uh, you know, clean up in the framework, but also wanted to offer a path for backwards compatibility for people that are still interested in those features. All right, uh, Lumen Spark. Uh, this is a this is a Taylor episode. So uh, you've been doing a lot of kind of refining and tweaking on Lumen. Can you talk to us about what you've been doing there? Yeah. So my opinion of Lumen has been kind of mixed in the past. Where I feel like Lumen is a really good idea, but I feel like it got muddled by. Wouldn't it be great if we also did this, or wouldn't it be great if we also added whatever? And so now you have this kind of blurry. Um, distinction between Laravel and Lumen where I actually get asked quite a bit like what's the actual difference between Laravel and Lumen 
And so I'm trying to take Lumen kind of back to his roots where it was always supposed to be an API or microservice framework. It wasn't supposed to be a full stack framework. So with Lumen 5.2, the view package is not included by default. The email package is not included by default. The session package is not included by default. It's basically fine-tuned to be stateless API microservices that are really fast. Um, So obviously that saves us time in terms of bootstrapping the framework, but it also just makes the marketing distinction a lot clearer on what am I supposed to be using Lumen for and what am I supposed to be using Laravel for? And it's like, do you have, you know, session state? Do you have HTML templates? Then you're probably going to want to use Laravel. Are you, if you're just returning JSON and it's just an API with token authentication and no cookies and no session, then you probably want to use Lumen. So it makes the distinction a lot clearer. You know, and and it's faster too. On PHP seven, it's running like ridiculously fast, which I guess everything is a lot faster on PHP seven. But it's like thirty four hundred requests per second or something, which is just like ludicrous fast. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really excited about that because it just gives it such a clear distinction that I think it's easier to communicate to people and and um, you know better better communicates their purpose. I'm curious. You you talked about how Lumen started to kind of get away from what it was originally intended to be uh, why do you think that happened is it making people happy on in github issues and prs yeah i think it's because it's hard to say no to people in open source like when you maintain an open source project just like the hardest thing is saying having this pull request where people wrote new code and you're like eh, no no thanks and it's just like boom your code is worthless now so i mean if someone adds a pull request to add like email functionality to lumen and they've already added all the code and config files, it's hard to turn that down or whatever. Uh, So, you know, it it takes just like a little bit of thick skin, I guess, to do some of that stuff, but I think it's going to be better overall. Yeah, it's really tough. I have to deal with that with some of the uh, the repos I run as well, where it's like people don't tell you what they want to do first, so you just suddenly get this big PR where... It's impressive, but it's like, well, I wouldn't necessarily have done this myself, but now I don't want you to feel like hours of your time was wasted so i'll just merge this but yeah then you start to realize over time that just can destroy um an open source project so yeah it must be very hard for you to deal with that with laravel for sure speaking of pull request i know this is kind of going back to laravel 5.2 but there was actually a a really awesome pull request on laravel 5.2 last week um, probably one of the better ones we've gotten in a while where it like vastly improved global eloquent scopes have either of you ever written a global scope in eloquent Yes. Yeah. I almost sucks. wrote one in a project yesterday, and having seen that pull request, I'm like, nope, I'm just going to wait yeah. until five dot two comes out. It's not. What fun. sucks about it is removing the global scopes mainly. Like, it's easy to add a global scope, but in five dot one, you also to to fulfill the interface for a global scope, you had to define a remove method where you had to remove the where clauses that you added in your scope. But even though we make you do that, we don't give you any kind of easy way to actually do that. Like you have to dig through the query and like manually compare the where conditions and it's really error prone and weird. But um, anyway, someone um, named their GitHub name is Akasar, but they added this PR where you don't have to do the remove method at all. You just have to worry about adding and then global scopes are added to the query at the end, right before we execute the query, instead of trying to add them at the beginning. So that lets us remove them at any point during the query construction without having to worry about removing where clauses because the where clauses haven't even been added yet. So that's really convenient and cleans up 
a lot of stuff. It actually makes uh, global query scopes, in my opinion, usable. Like before, I don't really consider them usable before this was added because it's there's no reasonable way to remove the where clauses that you add. So that was that was really awesome. I was really happy about that, and um, that's just going to make that feature a lot better because I was actually embarrassed to even document that feature. When I first released 5.1, I didn't document global scopes at all because I didn't feel like it was even good enough to document. Like it was not, it was so hacky removing them that it wasn't even worth documenting. So I'm, I'm really happy about that. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, we do all the time. We'll just write a scope and we'll just have to remember every single time you're going to use this particular, you know, you think of a base call of this thing. You just got to put that scope in there or whatever. So, uh, I feel like that's a, that's a, any time that you have to remember something for the sake of like securing something or whatever from deleted things or somebody else, it's like, that's not really the best way to do it. So I'm looking forward to simplification of the process of us doing better there. So cool. Uh, well, I, I think that the, the distinction in Lumen is going to make a lot of sense. I've, I've heard folks actually say things like, well, you know, I'm going to just make a really simple site. So I'm going to use Lumen for it. But what they really mean is I'm going to make a website that's that has login and authentication and sessions and all this kind of stuff, but it's going to be simpler. So I'm going to use Lumen for it. So I think even just like the general public understanding of what Lumen is for, I think giving it a, a greater level of refinement will help it be a more valuable, you know, tool like this is for, you know, yeah, it doesn't have the sessions because it's meant to be stateless or whatever. So I think it's both kind of going back to the core of Lumen is, but also giving it more of like a, here's where it excels in a way that Laravel might not be as able to quite as much. And so it's, it's actually discovering its value and its purpose kind of over time. All right, next piece. Spark, where are we? Got a lot of people ready to use it. I actually saw that at least a few people, I know at least uh, one person has actually released an app using Spark already. Well, I was working really hard on Spark actually before, um, you know, we're kind of cracking down on Laravel 5.2 just because of the time and, and, and it being December now, but before that, I was actually cranking really hard on Spark for several weeks. Um, one big um, roadblock for Spark that we actually cracked a few weeks ago was we needed a good way to let people customize the JavaScript aspect of a Spark application. And it took me a while to really, you know, figure out a good way to let people do that. But I finally cracked that actually while I was at PHP World um, at their hackathon. I was playing around with some stuff and, and came up with, a, I think, a really slick way to let people basically customize any aspect of the JavaScript using basically a, a concept similar to Views Mixins where you can actually just extend out any of the JavaScript components and override the methods or add methods or whatever. And, you know, basically override it like you would a PHP controller or something like that where you can just define a new implementation of a method. And since the methods tend to be really granular in Spark or, you know, they will be when it's finally released. Um, that's actually really nice because you can override uh, one simple method and change some behavior or whatever. Um, so once that was done, really the only remaining thing is I'm bringing on board a uh, Jack McDade to look over the CSS and make sure that's really easy to customize and easy to implement your own designs. And even like we have kind of a theme system, even where you can just drop in a, a SAS theme file. So in spark, if you if you comment out that theme file, it's just going to be base bootstrap, no customization whatsoever. And then if you uncomment the theme, you get sort of like a, a look and a feel to it with different colors and um, fonts and stuff like that. So I'm bringing him on board to kind of polish up that default theme and make sure the CSS looks good. And then it will actually be ready for, you know, probably a serious beta because all the core functionality is done. There's nothing really left to add there. So 
Cool. That sounds like we're kind of nearing, like we've got to get five, two out the door and then do some refinement, but it's really nearing that point. And, and even for the folks who are hacking away at the beta, it's kind of, it's much healthier place to be hacking away at the beta because it's a lot of the core functionalities in there and it's now more about refinement. Yeah. Yep. And a spark has kind of become like my little perfectionist baby the, for the past few weeks. <laughs> like I'm very particular on making it like as perfect as I can make it. Um, because I feel like when you release something that's like a foundation for building an app, it needs to be extremely like well polished. Because if I like just for me personally, if I pull in something that's like the foundation of my app and I feel like it's kind of hacky and and lame, like it doesn't make me feel good about the rest of my app. If I feel like the whole foundation is kind of shaky, so I'm trying to make it as polished and as perfect as I know how to make it. All right. Um, oh, you know, I had one question about that before we move on. So at one point, you pulled a lot of the um, the the default templates. Uh, there was the login template, and there was a you know base home and they pulled in you know. And and one of the things that you, when people ask, you said, well, you know what, I kind of expect people to to get Spark out of that, or to to use Spark to get something like that. So let's say someone was using Spark or not going to use Spark, right? They even when it comes out, they're not going to use Spark. But they kind of are looking for a resource for uh, just the just getting up and running with Bootstrap pulled in and the basic Bootstrap layout and a login and a password reset page. What's a good place to look for that? And is that a place for a community contribution, or is that something that's going to come back to Laravel one day? Or and this is to either of you guys. I would kind of like to bring that back at some point. I think that's a good example of me giving in to people whining on Twitter when I shouldn't have given in. Like that, cause that was just a couple people that were, that were mad about that. But when a couple of people are yelling at you at Twitter, it feels like a lot more than it should. And you're kind of like, well, maybe, maybe we shouldn't have that out of the box, but it sucks not having that out of the box. Like that's stupid. So every time I start a new project, I'm always regretting that that's not out of the box. Um, so yeah, I think eventually some form of that will come back, maybe even in 5.2 since it's really simple to add, but I, I agree. It kind of sucks that that's gone. I'm excited to hear that. I miss it. <laughs> uh, cool. Okay. So, Jeffrey, you are still here. Uh, I want to <laughs> hear about your experiences with PHP 7. Uh, what has what have you been doing over the last week, and what have you been learning? What have you tried? What has gone well? What's gone, gone poorly? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I've done as much as anyone. I haven't migrated anything over to it just yet. Uh, my goal is to pretty soon move Laracast over to it. Um, that's just a matter of doing the work. I started doing it on Friday, I think, and then I just decided, ah, maybe I should wait, wait a little while. I, I, that's my problem is I get excited and I want to do this stuff immediately. So like a new version of Laravel comes out and I want to upgrade like the same day. And sometimes it's good to, to give a little bit of breathing room before you do that. Uh, but yeah, PHP 7 is, is great. Um, from what I've seen, I, I know there were a lot of discussions, like if you don't know, they, they delayed it a bit. So they just wanted to iron out some final kinks and such. Uh, for me, since I've been using it in the last week, I haven't really noticed anything. Seems great to me. Uh, as most people have probably heard at this point, it's basically twice as fast across the board. So you don't need to say, like, how much faster is Laravel or Drupal or WordPress? It's just, in general, about twice as fast, uh, which is which is incredible. Um, a handful of new things people can use. Um there's a free series at Laracast if you want to look at it. Otherwise, just Google it. But some stuff like um, you have scalar type hints. So if you now want like um, an integer type hint, you can do that if you want. Or remember, like you don't have to do it. So if you don't like that, then just ignore it, you know. Uh, and the same would be true for like return type 
declarations. There's kind of a spaceship operator, which is cool when you're um, when you're sorting. Uh, you can do grouped imports now. It's not the cool import where you can just say uh, import everything in this namespace. That would be awesome. We still can't do that, but you can basically use like a comma separated list. So you you type out your namespace and then you do a comma separated list of the classes you want to import. So some not perfect, but but a little better. You might get some uses out of that. Um, what else? There's there's that um what is it called the the null coalesce operator. Mm-hmm. It's basically the same thing like you have in JavaScript where it's like uh, this variable equals this or that. And in PHP, that was always awkward because you have to do this this thing where you say, like, if this variable is set, then I want to set it to that. Otherwise, set it to an empty string or whatever, which yeah. is always, like, it looks so bad in PHP. Uh, now you just do question mark, question mark, and it's good. But yeah, I, I, I like it. I, I hope to upgrade some of my projects to it soon. And, uh, yeah, great to see PHP getting better. I heard you saying you were going to be upgrading Laracast last week, and I went, man, you're brave. Because for me, this 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 kind of stuff, it comes out, and I know there's going to be at least, you know, three, four, five patch releases, you know, quickly. So for me, I'm like, yeah, I'll give it a couple months and let my adventurous friends <laughs> no, figure no, it out. You're so. totally. I was really meaning, like, I was going to set up a staging server and Got try it. everything okay. out and then move it over. But no, you're totally right. I, I think it's it's smart to, to wait a while, maybe even for uh, a couple point releases. Sure. And if, if you're interested in testing your stuff, Taylor's been doing a lot of work to open up PHP 7 to the masses. So uh, you've been doing work with Forge and Homestead. And what else? So what, what have you been doing with PHP 7? For uh, us? Forge will provision PHP 7 by default, and then you can use a checkbox to fall back to a PHP 5.6 if you want. Um, let's see. Homestead has the PHP 7 box, Homestead 7, um, which will probably soon be just you know the default Homestead box. Um, what else have we done with PHP seven? I guess that's about it. Forge and Homestead, you know, are easy, really easy ways to start playing with PHP seven and, uh, you know, trying it on your live applications or whatever. So yeah, I mean, download the Homestead box for sure, because that's really easy and you can actually run the Homestead 5.6 box and the 7.0 box side by side. So you don't have to, um, uninstall all your old homestead stuff if you want to pull in the php7 box and play with it you can just run them side by side and the homestead docs has details on how to do all that that's uh and i think that's that's the biggest thing is just like even for folks who aren't laravel developers you now have a very very easy set of tools available to both locally and in staging um, or in production if you want run php7 so i think that's really really helpful Yeah, because it was always annoying before i even remember like with php 5.2 or 5.3 They'd say stuff like, hey, the beta is out. Go ahead, go ahead and try it out. And then just like for reasonable developers, figuring out how to install that and test it out was yep. like freaking hard. <laughs> you yep. know, where it's like, I'm a reasonably smart person and I don't know how to, how to compile this and set it up. So uh, luckily, it's so much easier now uh, with, with Vagrant and, and Homestead. So it's really a non-issue at this point. You can play with it right now. Cool. Well, speaking of wonderful and ridiculously convenient things that used to be a pain in the butt, Let's Encrypt is in public beta, uh, and if anyone's not familiar with it, Let's Encrypt is a uh, basically a project to make it free to do. And uh, one of you all might have to explain more than I am, but it's not the entirety of SSL and HTTPS, but it's enough. And I, there's different levels about identity verification, all kind of stuff. But for the average human being, the average browser, to get the little green lock or whatever it ends up being to tell you you're on a secure site and to have that level of protection used to be you know every single year you got to to rebuy the thing and you've got to uh, concatenate certs and the certificate chain thing made it a little bit easier but it was costly it was you know at least 30 bucks a year and often a lot more 
Um, it was manual work and things like Forge made it easier. Um, and it was a little bit one of those things like where domain names used to cost 150 bucks a year and now they're 10 bucks a year. It's kind of like, you know, is it really costing that much money? So Let's Encrypt is free. Yeah, so for the months leading up to this, you know, people have been bugging me on Twitter, like, can we support Let's Encrypt and Forge and all that? Because it really is such a convenient thing. And, and you're right, it it gives you that, you know, green lock in your browser with HTTPS and sort of replaces those 10 to $20 SSL certificates that you were buying. And it's it's just so, so easy. So like you go into Forge, you click Let's Encrypt, and you basically just click Obtain Certificate and activate it, and you're done. You don't have to generate any certificate signing request or answer any emails or whatever. So it's a really simple process. And then the, the dom- or, gosh, blah. The certificates are more short-lived, so typically a certificate would last like a year if you bought it from a traditional service. These last 90 days. So what Forge does is gives you a um, an API URL to paste into the scheduler on Forge, and you can just set that to run monthly, and that will just renew your certificate every month. So you actually never even have to think about renewal for years in theory. Um, so that's, that's really handy. And we've already, uh, encrypted, you know, hundreds of sites on Forge. I haven't looked this morning, but, um, on Saturday or it was already up to 168 sites. I think we're already running let's encrypt on Forge. So a lot of people that weren't using SSL are now using it because it's so much more accessible. It was such a pain to do in the past. I mean, like I, I was telling you guys a couple of days ago, uh, I never, really memorized it so every single like because you have to renew it every single year so i would always be going back to digital ocean every single time because i couldn't remember what to do and then you have to copy these things and they'll send you an email but it always takes like an hour to get the email and then you you grab the files and then you're supposed to concatenate oh god it it was terrible i hated doing for all your and for all your sites, you've got to make sure you actually have real functional email addresses. And it's like administrator at domain name.com. And who did that forward to? And did we actually remember yes. to forward it? It's lost. We got to resend it a day later. And it's going to, oh my gosh, the amount of time I've wasted on this. And then it's not just like buying a SSL certificate is like 30 bucks. But if you want uh, like wildcard subdomains, it's even more for that. So now yeah. that we've made this free and then Forge is making it just a joke to set up, this is really huge. Yeah. So let's encrypt. You can do multiple domains on one certificate. So like you can do Laracast.com and forum.laracast.com and whatever.laracast.com. If you explicitly specify all those when you create the certificate, let's encrypt doesn't let you do asterisk.laracast.com. Oh, that's good to know. So you can't, it can't generate a totally wildcard certificate. And there's some, they have a detailed blog post on why that is hard for them to do if you're interested in that kind of thing. But as long as you can manually specify, like say you're running five or six subdomains and and you might even be using wildcard domains at the NGINX level, but you're actually only serving five or six, you can do that by just comma delimiting them in Forge, you know, laracast.com, comma, forums.laracast.com, and it will generate a certificate for all of those domains. Good to know. I, um, I'm strongly considering uh, just... Because there's one of my app symposium, people have been asking, why is it not secure? And and honestly, it's because, first of all, it doesn't matter. 
that much but i was like I, i'd like to just kind of secure all my sites in general but it's just like man let's encrypt is coming and this is such a pain in the butt and just locking myself into one more site where i'm stuck with this pain in the butt every year i'm just gonna wait for let's encrypt so if i can find some time today i'm just gonna do a quick video of me doing it on forge not because it's complicated but just so people who are like kind of curious about what the process really looks like can see it it's going to take me a minute because I'm going to have to blur out 99% of my Forge console <laughs> to do it. But uh, I'll, I'll, if I can find time, I'll do it and link it in the show notes. So so this means now with Forge, you could create a new PHP 7 site with SSL in like 30 seconds. Like you do two clicks and you have that set up. I mean, that's really You're not incredible. charging enough money. You're not charging us enough money. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> cool um anything else you guys want? oh you know what we got one last thing um so uh chris fidow wanted us to talk about uh as our outgoing thing halo and being old playing video games is this is this do you know what he's yeah. talking about here me, me and chris fidow uh owner of servers for hackers we play halo every other night or so halo 5 and usually after uh, my kids are in bed and i cannot repeat the things that come out of my mouth when we play halo 5 <laughs> i have flipped off my television i have paced around the room yelling obscenities because people are just so dang good like we'll be playing and me and chris are always on the same team because you know we're kind of we're friends on xbox live or whatever and like say we're the blue team i will just see the slightest flicker of red on my screen and boom i'm dead like i'm already dead i haven't even like visualized the other team's guy and he's already killed me it's just really really frustrating Oh, and you know the most annoying part is it's some 11-year-old that just plays all day and is going to be 100 times better than you'll ever be. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. And we hate it. We hate it every night. We're stressed out. <laughs> and then a couple of days later, we I get a text message, Halo, question mark. Like, we, we can't get away from it. Uh, it's, it's helpful for me because the, I don't have any time to play video games. And I'm not like, I will get there soon. But right now, I'm writing the book. So every time I do have a free second, I should work on the book. But... When I do play video games, I'm this type of person where I'm either hyper, hyper, hyper competitive and I get like totally freaked out when I can't win. Or in order to combat that, I like kind of almost put on this veneer of like kind of dunce. So like I'll go to a board gaming. Some of my friends play board games sometimes and I show up and I'm like, oh, I don't know how to play these board games. Just let me play Carcassonne or something really simple. Because if I know if I actually really get into it, I'm going to like be that person I don't want to be. So I don't let myself do it. I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, those games are too complicated for me. But I so for computer games, Minecraft is great because I can just get in a server with my brothers who are geek geeks and run a server. And I, I like have this moderate level of competitiveness. But even in that, I feel like if I was playing in public servers and being, seeing these people who are building like the Starcraft or Star Trek Enterprise or whatever, I'd be like, screw it. I, I just build a hut. You, well, know? you should have, <laughs> uh, you should have joined uh, Eric Barnes and I's Minecraft server. We had a fun. We built a whole farm and everything. Oh, nice. I, I got, actually got into it because folks in the Laravel IRC channel were, um, were doing it back in the day. And I joined, but it turns out I joined kind of when y'all had stopped really doing it so much. So I don't... I don't I- like, I've never played Minecraft before, so I- I'm positive it's amazing, but I don't understand it. Like, I, w- I watch yeah. these videos of people making machines and computers in Minecraft. Like, I don't... How How is that even possible that you can make a computer in <laughs> Minecraft? Because when, I, when I've, when i like, toyed around with it, and I know nothing, by the way. When I've toyed around with it, I'm just, like, digging and building blocks. So how does that suddenly translate into building, like, calculators and things like that? 
Well, there are there are packs that you can get that basically like mods that give you all the stuff, so you don't have to. They're not having to dig up all the materials, but some of the materials you can get. And again, I don't know that much either because I've never gotten that far. Is there are things that like red stone, and you can create the equivalent of like wires and toggles and switches. And so, as far as I'm guessing, at least they're just you. And that's like the type of stuff where if you stand here, it'll give power to that thing, which will make that thing move. That kind of stuff. Okay. So my guess is the people who are doing that are building that up to a massive scale so they can basically build like little mini microprocessors. Yeah. And I think they're basically using, I think they're basically using those redstones as binary storage, you know, ones or zeros. Mm -hmm. And they're using that to store state and stuff. I know it's, it's really ridiculous. I never really understood Minecraft until I played with friends on a server. Like when I played with Eric, I was like, Oh, this is a lot of fun because we were actually working together. Like we need this resource and we need this animal to build our farm out and, and stuff like that. And I live a thousand miles away from my brothers and my family's really, really close and being away from them is tough and I miss them a lot. And when we can find an hour to sit down and play Minecraft, it feels very communal, I guess. And I mean, a lot of video games do, but I think there's part of it is just like we're building a thing together. And even when we can't play together, like I'll show up and see what my younger brother built in his house. And I'm like, that's really cool. How'd you do that? Show me. And then he's like, hey, I remember you wanted to build the Mexican restaurant. You know, why don't we build that together? What what materials do you need? And he plays way more than I do. So I was like, I'm describing something. He's like, oh, I had this cool way I came up with how to build a table. Let me show you how to build this table that might... And so it's just, I don't know, it's like a very communal, collaborative thing, especially when you got like the, the chat headphones on and everything. So, all right, guys, anything else we want to talk about for today? I think we're uh, good. We've covered a lot of bases. Awesome. Well, I, um, I just started building a project that is um, this, I keep talking about acceptance test driven development, but it is, I wrote the acceptance test first and then I wrote an API, REST API to satisfy it. And then I'm building view on top of it. I haven't been able to live stream it, um, but if y'all haven't seen, I've been trying to do some live streaming on Twitch. Um, but in the end, it will be the ability for people to vote on ideas, suggest and vote on ideas for the podcast for us to talk about. So my hope is I have it at least to a state by the next podcast that people can actually submit ideas and vote in there. If not, we'll just ask on Twitter. But um, for everyone who submitted some ideas for us to talk about today, thank you. And please keep keep the ideas coming. Um, and other than that, uh, it's great to talk to you guys as always. And we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.